dear listeners thank you for joining us good afternoon good morning and good evening wherever you're joining us on our eval age podcast we once again bring you an exciting episode today joining us is our guest speaker is nora lindstrom she is an international development professional with over decade of experience across three continents she is at present the senior director for ICT4D for Catholic Relief Services since June of this year immediately prior to that she was the global lead for digital development at plan international where she promoted the responsible use of technology and digital tools for advancing children's rights and equality for girls Nora is passionate about bridging the digital gender divide and getting more girls and women to access, use and create digital technology. She sits as the chair of the advisory council for the digital principles and this is convened under the Digital Impact Alliance which has the stewardship of the nine digital principles. Prior to joining Plan International, Nora worked as an expert on migration issues at the Helsinki Deaconess Institute. as an advisor on urban governance for ActionAid Malawi and defended urban and land rights in Cambodia with Samakum Chiang Phnom. She holds an MA in Economics and International Relations from the University of St Andrews and MSc in Development Studies from the School of Oriental and African Studies. She is also a proud mother. So we look forward to speaking with an exciting and knowledgeable guest, especially those of you who have never heard of the principles. this is a great opportunity to know what it is about and how as an evaluator you can adapt these principles thank you so much for joining us uh, nora today as a start could you please tell us about the principles of digital development and why do they exist and what was the history behind development of these principles and also perhaps how relevant are they in uh, doing development in a digital world maybe you can also add a bit about what does the digital principles advisory council do in stewarding or advising dial on uh, its stewardship of the digital principles thanks val and um and thanks for for having me on the podcast i think there were quite a, a few questions there so you'll have to uh maybe ask some of them again if i uh if i forget to respond to them but maybe to to start off with in terms of sort of the background on the principles and where they came from i think there was a sense in the in the sort of 2010s maybe or no well maybe even before the 2010s so 20 2000s early 2000s coming up to 2010s technology had become increasingly used in international development programming um but that many actors using technology were facing sort of challenges and it was seen that you know some of those challenges were were similar across the board and so various sort of donors and and multilateral sort of agencies and representatives started discussing some of these challenges and what to do about them so over time you know bigger agencies like unicef for example they then launched launched their innovation principles you had um a whole bunch of sort of what was called m health at the time which i don't really see used as a term anymore at all but you know there was m health sort of donors and practitioners came together to discuss what would be sort of best practices in in digital development so in using digital and international development and this resulted in what was called the green tree principles the uk government also developed these digital service design principles so basically in the 2010s you started seeing increasing sort of attempts to kind of bring best practices in 
on how to really you know use technology well in international development I, I think there were there were a number of different principles then and so at some point you know these various donors and and, and other bigger agencies came together and said okay well why don't we perhaps kind of put them all together into one set of best practices. And this is kind of how the principles for digital development were, were born. As I've been told, I wasn't engaged myself at the time. And so then in 2014, over, over 2014, really, a sort of a group of implementers and development practitioners came together to kind of discuss what the principles would be. And through that process then, the principles were, were developed and, uh, and in 2015 there was an endorsement campaign and, and they've sort of existed ever since. I suppose in, in short the principles were born out of a recognition that there were failures and there were common challenges in using technology to in development programming and different agencies want to come together to see how you know we could we could do better right how could we be more impactful and more responsible in our use of technology. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a brilliant opening. And those of our listeners who've never heard of these principles, we will put the links to the principles in the description below. And so you can uh, look at what these principles are, the nine, nine principles. Uh, perhaps you can uh, add a little bit more on uh, what does the Digital Principles Advisory Council do? I mean, and you sit as the chair and, and what role do you play in, uh, in advising? or in shaping the way the principles are adopted. Right, so the current Digital Principles Advisory Council, DPAC for short, and was um, started just a few months ago. And this is the second advisory council. So the first advisory council ever was, came into being about two years ago. So it's, it has a, it sits for a two year period. And I think it was, it was really a, came from a desire on the part of DIAL as, as the stewards of the principles to ensure that there was more sort of, there was broader engagement on the principles. They are not the owners of the principles in any way. Um, they are the stewards of the principles who in themselves are community owned. And so I think there was a sense from DIAL that they just kind of wanted to have a an independent body advising them on how they were doing that stewardship of the principles. So that was kind of how the advisory council came into being. So the role, I think that, so with the first advisory council, I think we were kind of finding our feet a little bit. Um, we're also hampered by, by, by COVID, which uh, I think many others were as well, obviously. Um, but we're sort of finding our feet and so what is the role of the council and, and, and what should we be doing? So I think a lot of things that we ended up doing was kind of advising um, Niall on their, on their work plans and what they were doing and, and trying also within our own organizations and, and our, our own affiliations to promote the principles and, and engage with the principles. Now moving into to this um, second cohort um, that I'm now chairing, I think we're streamlining a little bit more we're trying to engage more directly with the work that dial is doing with the plans that dial has and and be maybe a little bit more engaged so a little bit more hands-on in how to promote the principles and in particular how to advance that sort of community aspect of the principles but it's early days we've, we've had two meetings so far so uh it's early days into our sort of two year stint yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that introduction. 
I will hand over to my colleague, Elena, for the second question. Thank you, Val. Nora, thank you so much for being our guest. Uh, digital security uh, and uh, the digital development are subjects that are so important, uh, but many of us, including me, uh, we don't have sufficient knowledge about it. And I uh, really interested to learn from you um, and um, thank you for sharing your experience. From uh, our research in preparation for this episode, we came across uh, some studies from Institute of Development Studies and uh, ODI, Manchester, and other independent think tanks that the principles themselves uh, were not designed with users in a collaborative way and uh, that they actually traditionally underserved uh, uh, populations and uh, people were not included in this process. Not exactly the exclusive process. There are many uh, initiatives in the development sector where the principles were designed uh, by some uh, most powerful agencies and donors and continue to be revised with their perspectives. So uh, thinking about this, I would like to hear your views um, on this. What do you think about what I said? Sure. So I think, I don't think we can deny the fact that, you know, they were designed um, by sort of big donors and big agencies. I mean, I just told you of the history of the principles and, and that clearly sort of outlines who the key sort of agents were um, in, in starting it all up. Um, but I think that a more interesting question um, to me is, are they relevant regardless? Are the, are the principles as they've, they've been defined or, or spelt out, are they relevant? And also how, as, as we move forward, can we actually make the principles community more inclusive? So on the first question, you know, are they still relevant? Um, I do think that they remain relevant as guiding principles. You know, they're, they're not a tick in the box exercise. Um, we describe them as, as living guidelines on the digital principles website. And for me, they've always been a, a starting point for, for, for asking important questions um, as we introduce technology into our programming. And I've also seen firsthand how thinking through some of the questions raised by the principles has really made um, programming more inclusive. So in particular, thinking about, for example, the principle of, of design with the user, right? Which I actually think should be designed with the users because there are always several with you know, various um, identities. And so, you know, if you say, okay, we, we should design with the users, we should think about, you know, access that different types of users might have to a particular technology or, 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 or a device or whatever, and as well as divides and gaps in that. So, so thinking through questions around the user, thinking through how can we engage the user in designing whatever we're doing, I think that leads to better programming. Now, on, on the second question, you know, how can we actually make the principles community more inclusive as we move forward? I definitely think that there's more that we can do there. And, you know, this is also something that we're currently looking at um, in the advisory council at the moment. So for example, we're looking at how we could establish maybe sort of local or thematic chapters around the world as a way to expand the principles community and really ensure that diverse groups uh, of people can engage with and, and say, have a say on the principles. Um, another thing that I've been pushing for during my time on, on the council is really to get dialed to develop 
a variety of training assets um, on the principles to really make it easier for, for people to, to learn about the principles and, and how to apply them. So sort of two, three years ago, when, when I first started learning about the principles and engaging with them myself, a lot of the uh, material that was available on the principles was, was PDFs. Now, PDFs can be great, but they're not, they're not for everyone. And so one of the key things that I've been trying to push for is to have sort of more accessible and more engaging materials on the principles available to make them more accessible. And so, you know, I've been advocating for online training courses, and, and now we do have five self-paced modules on the Digital Principles website that, that anyone can go and do. There's also a facilitator's guide for doing a sort of Principles 101 training, uh, either virtually or in person. And we're currently working, or I should say Dial is working with the support of the council, is working on sort of 201 and 301 courses. So I think there's, there's efforts that we're doing at the moment to try to uh, make the community more inclusive and, and give people opportunities to engage. Thank you very much, Nora. I will pass uh, the floor to Val for the next uh, question. Thank you, Elena. I think that's a brilliant response. I mean, I, I as you know, uh, Nora, yourself, the, the field that I work in, I've ranged uh, from people who completely dismiss the principles and those who uh, embrace them. Uh, a lot in saying uh, this is what we should be doing and, and you mentioned that the principles are a living document in, in terms of how it's evolving as we learn lessons and irrespective of who designed it and who's now in charge of it is so important and who is uh, leading the directions so thank you for all those points uh, as a when you look at it from an evaluator's perspective uh, we we have this oecd dac evaluation criteria which is some, sometimes the gold standard for how do you measure something with relevance and efficiency and sustainability and so on. And it wasn't designed to be a living document because it's very recently adapted to include uh, coherence in terms of how it's evolving. But still there are critics of uh, the DAC criteria who says it doesn't capture complexities, it doesn't capture uh, the socioeconomic dimensions or the oppression and lack of justice and so on. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to know just a little bit from what you've already said, how do the principles addresses issues of you know, gender and race, particularly uh, when you talk about technologies, the technology is never neutral in, in that sense. I mean, as much as we can say it's an advanced technology or artificial intelligence, there's nothing artificial or intelligent about it. It's human made. It's, uh, so when we are not neutral, we cannot expect the technologies we create to be uh, neutral. So how does as someone who's sitting not just as the chair of the Digital Principles Advisory Council, but someone who works on these issues on a daily basis in the field? I mean, we have policymakers who never go to the field, but you're a very much field person who engage with women and children and, and watch them uh, you know, adapt technology and the challenges you face. So how do you think... Um, we can, I mean, the criticism here is sometimes principles not explicitly address the, the dangers of uncritical use of digital technologies. What I mean by that is sometimes it's pushed as a silver bullet, right? And that it can actually amplify existing inequalities. And so how would you think Deepak or even yourself, uh, how are you advocating for uh, principles to adapt these things? It hasn't changed since it was inception, in, since its inception. So how have they uh, evolved? How can we change them for the better? Sorry. That's a good question. Um, and I think that there's a couple of different ways to kind of look at that. So 
let's say first of all, you know, we've already talked about that the, the principles are sort of living guidelines, if you like. Now, if you take each principle, you know, design with the user, understand the existing ecosystem, design for scale. I think one thing that and, and, and so on, you know, and, and one thing that we can do there is refine our thinking under each of those headlines, if you like, of what the principle is. So I don't think that has to remain static at all. And I don't think it has remained static. You know, when we say that one of the principles is understand the existing ecosystem. Okay, what do we mean there? What are the questions that we need to ask? And what are the things we need to consider when we want to understand the existing ecosystem, right? And, and I think that you can totally, for example, take a gender lens to that and seek to understand the existing ecosystem from a gender perspective, right? And so I think that within each of the principles at the high level, you can then refine the questions that you want to ask to take into account you know, issues of, of, of gender and race and, you know, whatever else might be relevant, right? So I see the principles sort of as a starting point and then the questions evolving as, as we become more attuned to, to some of these needs, right? And so when I was a plan, for example, um, one of the things that I did um, together with colleagues, obviously, was that we actually took a gender lens to the principles so we looked at each of the principles, we looked at the available guidance on each of the principles, and then we looked at, okay, so what is missing here from a gender perspective? And then we created guidance on, okay, if you look at this from a gender perspective, these are some additional questions and considerations that you would want to take into account under each of the principles. So there is a way to add and refine the thinking under and the questions to ask under each of, of the principles. And that's something, again, going back to the fact that the principles are community owned, that's something that I would welcome anyone to do, you know, but look at what we have at the materials and the thinking that is available in each of the principles from a race perspective, right? From an intersectional perspective and, and add those questions, add those considerations. So that's one thing that I think can definitely be done I've done it myself and, and I would welcome others to kind of contribute to the thinking there. There's also a, a recurring, you know, um, question of should we, should we revise the principles all together? Should we kind of open this up and maybe, I know, do we need to, you know, drop some principles, add principles, just revise the language, something like that. The previous advisory council discussed this, and at that time, our general feeling was that we didn't want to open it up to a complete sort of revision, but instead what the focus became was to look at, you know, how can we reflect on some of these newer questions that people are asking through the prism of the principles or the other way around, through, through a gender lens. Okay, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. So if you look at the principal's website where all the material is available, you know, there is, um, there is this gender guidance, there is, you know, more focus on inclusion, on ethics, and so on. So, so this was kind of the way that we took it forward at that point. Now, the new advisory council, given how new we are, we haven't sort of discussed this yet um, in terms of how, what our thoughts on, on this subject um, is, but I'm sure it is something that we will discuss in due course. I should say, however, that as the principles are community owned, it's of course not 
you know, Dial's prerogative or the advisory council prerogative to actually revise the principles. That's not something that Dial or the advisory council can do independently or even together. You know, again, that needs to be a community effort. Um, and that in itself, of course, then requires time and, and resources to do well, right? So it's a question that is being discussed. Um, and I'm a little bit on the fence at the moment, personally, as to which way this should go. Um, I think that refining the thinking under each of the principles has been really useful and, and is something that can certainly continue. But I'm also open to, to you know, reflecting on whether we need a bigger process to, uh, to evaluate the, uh, the principles. Thank you. I, that's pretty, very useful. I mean, so those of us who are also on the fence about how to use this or how to adapt it, it's, it's very critical to know that uh, it's at least open to the idea of, uh, you know, revisions and even maybe expansion of the existing principles. So, Alina, I will hand over to you for a very important question that is everybody's in mind. I guess, since yes, we're all thank you, it. Valentine. Thank you very much, Valentine. Um, it's also interesting that you mentioned uh, the example of uh, DAG evaluation criteria, which uh, experienced um, this uh, open process and open consultation, which was for more than uh, one year, and they added the new evaluation criteria. Uh, still, the red deliberations that um, the process was more inclusive, but not sufficiently inclusive, but it is brought some changes uh, to the criteria and um, evaluation community and embracing it. With regards to the openness to the idea and um, the engagement of uh, monitoring, evaluation, research and learning professionals, in your opinion, what these professionals can do uh, to bring the principles to the next level, helping refining them, adapt? Um, what do you think uh, could be an active role of professionals in our sphere? So I think as, as we're going into, you know, hopefully setting up these chapters that I mentioned, I think actually engaging with the, the chapters and getting involved in them would be really valuable. Obviously, also sort of sharing any thinking and, and materials that is, that is developed um, on the principles and, and getting in touch. You know, we, the, the principles website hosts a lot of things that are cross-posted as well and a lot of materials that are not developed by, by Dial specifically. So I suppose my, my ask would really just be to engage with the principles, right? Like, can you use the, the principles to think through what you're doing and, and, and your work, right? Can you introduce the principles and, into the work that you do in different ways? And, and what does that look like, right? So in my previous role with PLAN, again, you know, what we were doing is we really had them as our, our sort of guiding principles of, of how we were in my role, advising our country programs to use digital technology in programming work, right? So those were our principles. And then we, that, what that led to is that we were asking questions when they were suggesting the use of technology on, okay, so have you, you done this? Have you done that? Have you considered this? And really using the principles as a guideline for us and introducing them and including them into our internal guidance so that people were kind of reminded of, of their existence and or the fact that you want to take them into account and think through them. The other thing, of course, is, you know, I mentioned the different sort of courses that are avail available. Uh, now, this may not be particularly for sort of evaluators, but, but certainly in, in sort of within organizations, using those um, materials to organize 
you know, internal trainings on the principles. Um, all those materials are available. And I believe there's actually also a, a training of trainers um, that can be, that has been organized in the past, at least on, on becoming a facilitator. So using those materials to then further train others. And, and in my experience of doing those trainings, those have been really, you know, colleagues have been really engaged and, and, and really liked the trainings. So, so that's certainly something I would recommend people to, uh, to look into. Thank you, Nora. And uh, I'm very happy that actually what we are doing now is disseminating the knowledge about the principles and encourage uh, uh, evaluation professionals and beyond to refer to them. So thank you uh, for sharing your views and uh, your knowledge once again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Nora. I mean, uh, this has been quite uh, um, an eye-opener and uh, what the process and how it was evolved and how it is going. So we're very grateful for your time. Perhaps any last words of wisdom to evaluators or even technology developers about the principles and how we can really truly bridge the divide between folks who need it and how technology can benefit them. I mean, most often we hear about, uh, you know, uh, all these big words, but how can we, from your experience, any words of wisdom that we can do next steps in, in reaching that goal? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, I'm gonna bring it back to something that I'm quite passionate about, and, and it relates to um, the principle of, of being data-driven, right? Which is one of the nine principles. And, and again, you know, I actually think it should be, you know, be data-informed. Um, because I think that, you know, we always need to be critical of data and not just driven by the numbers that we see. But, you know, if we put that to aside for, for a minute, um, the thing that I really feel passionate about is ensuring that we empower data providers, so the people that we collect data from, with the data that they provide us, right? Um, so that we're not extractive in, in, our, in our data practices, right? And so I suppose my message to sort of evaluators who deal with data um, is to really think through how the, the data that you're having collected can be used to empower those providing that data. You know, how can we close the loop and enable people who are providing us with data to actually directly benefit from the data and the analysis of that data? Uh, so that they actually can also, for themselves, take action um, on those insights. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Thank you so much, Nora. Once again, this has been a great experience talking to you and also watching your work uh, has, has been amazing and inspiring. So thank you so much for joining us. And I also thank the listeners who tuned in today to watch this exciting episode. And I'm pretty sure we'll be back soon with another exciting episode of the Evaluage podcast. And thanks to Alina for recording us and thank you and have a good evening or a good day wherever you are joining us from today. Bye.